All right, putting food into jars. Is it really hard? Is it really complicated? Am I going to make my family sick? And what am I going to get from this? Is it going to save me money or is it going to taste better or both? What's the point? So all of this we're going to talk about in this episode and a lot more as well. I got to talk to Angie Schneider, who is a patron of the podcast and the author of The Ultimate Guide to Preserving Vegetables and also Pressure Canning for Beginners and Beyond. Two wonderful books on my shelf. And she has a lot in those books, including tables where you can figure out what to do with all the produce coming in from the garden or from your CSA or from your friend's farm, whatever. And also the pressure canning book. Guys, there are so many awesome recipes in there for quick, easy dinners and meals that you can have on your pantry shelf, really nutrient-dense foods, ready to go at the drop of a hat. I'm going to ask her in this episode about how she got started and why canning is so important to her. We're going to talk about hospitality in the home and how canning helps with that. I also wanted to ask her about staples she keeps in her pantry, how she deals with harvest seasons. And then, yeah, we're going to talk about pressure canning too. So beans and meat, dinners, things like that, testing your canners, all the details in the nitty gritty. So this is such a good episode. It'll definitely stay on your shelf as a great reference for canning and check the show notes as well. I put links for everything that she mentioned in this episode in the show notes so that you can keep washing the dishes and folding the laundry and you don't have to stop and write things down. Welcome to the Ancestral Kitchen Podcast with Allison, a European town dweller in central Italy, and Andrea living on a newly created family farm in Northwest Washington State, USA. Pull up a chair at the table and join us as we talk about eating, cooking, and living with ancient ancestral food wisdom in a modern world kitchen. Good morning, Angie. How are you? Good morning. I'm wonderful. How are you? I am well. Also, all the more weller for being able to talk to you today. (laughs) Very excited about this conversation. I am excited. I could talk food preserving all day long, every day. (laughs) Ah, I love it. Well, so could I. And I could listen to somebody like you talk about it all day, every day, too. So (laughs) this is the perfect place for both of us. Um, good luck with the listener ever getting off of this. This episode might be seven hours long. Right. (laughs) I know it could be. Um, well, this is so fun. So Angie is actually a patron of the podcast is how I was introduced to her. And then you must have posted on Instagram or something, Angie, that you had these books. And so, of course, I got them. But you are the author of some beautiful books and you have ebooks too. So the two books of yours that I have are sitting on the desk in front of me. And I know the titles will be immediately appealing to everyone. <laughs> One is The Ultimate Guide to Preserving Vegetables, Canning, Pickling, Fermenting, Dehydrating, and Freezing Your Favorite Fresh Produce. Yeah. Uh-huh. With delicious, beautiful pictures of jars on the front. And the other book which 
will um, meet the needs of so many people today who want to do this but are intimidated by it is titled Pressure Canning for Beginners and Beyond. Safe, easy recipes for preserving tomatoes, vegetables, beans, and meat. And we like the word safe and easy. Absolutely. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> so anyways, I got these books. Um, and when you sent them to me, you wrote notes inside, which I thought was so sweet. I still have the card in there that Aww. you wrote. Um, so anyways, I'm super excited to have them. And I told Allison, I just want to talk to her about it. I just want to like no more so she said let's have an interview so here I am awesome. <laughs> talking to you <laughs> so yeah super stoked um why don't we just jump into the episode and I'll start by asking you what did you last eat before we got on to record sure um so I last ate breakfast which uh, my breakfast is usually pretty much the same thing almost every day because mm-hmm. I'm a huge creature of habit and yeah. um so I had eggs with um, tomato, tomato, onion, and spinach. Um, soon mm-hmm. it'll be tomato, onion, and sweet potato leaves because our sweet potatoes will get large enough that I can start picking leaves from them. Um, and then the chicken. I didn't even know you could eat those. Oh, yeah. They're good. Wow. You know, so where I, I live, idea. the greens don't, greens don't grow well during the summer here. And so where, where are you? I'm in South Texas. So oh, along so the Gulf Coast. Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh so I wouldn't I don't pre I don't like them like by themselves, you know, or uh-huh. even in a salad, but sauteed, they're very much like spinach. So mm. um I make that switch as soon as I can. So I don't have to buy spinach. I mean lots of things are better when you cook them in butter, so <laughs> Abs- or bacon grease, yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> Absolutely. And then I had some a fermented dill pickle and some um, mm. coffee with raw milk. Oh, man. That sounds like the perfect breakfast. Yeah, it was great. And checks all the boxes. Do you raise chickens? Do you have we chickens? We do. We have chickens. Okay. Um, that's the only like, well, we have chickens and bees is what we raise. So chickens and what bees, honey bees. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Oh, so. okay. Okay. Next episode yeah. that I interview you, can we talk about <laughs> bees, please? <laughs> well, let me just say it was much easier when my beekeeper son was a teenager. Oh. And then when he left to go to the coast guard, it's much yeah. harder for me <laughs> to keep bees. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Josh and Carolyn Thomas with the Homesteading Family uh-huh. um, account online. They have, I think they just had their 10th child born a couple yeah. months ago here. And he said he was talking about all the m- many enterprises they have on the farm. And he goes, you know, when our kids start moving off of the farm, we will be scaling down. <laughs> yes. Like we we yeah. only do this because all the kids are have their own projects and um, they're all working on things. And I thought, oh, that's so true. Yeah, it um, is. It is. Wow. So. so what a great breakfast. And I just learned something. You can eat sweet potato leaves. Well, I think we're planting sweet potatoes. So oh, yum. Um, I guess I shall be eating the leaves. And <laughs> are they, okay, can, compare them to a leaf, like collard greens or? Okay, so I'm not a huge like, green eater. I think they're more like 
so I don't, I've never eaten collards. Um, uh-huh. um, I think they're similar to like cooked, um, Swiss chard or spinach. It kind of okay, has the yeah, same texture okay, and a pretty mild flavor. So, okay. Well, I, I love spinach in frittatas and things like mm-hmm. that. I'm, I said once on the podcast that I'm not like a, like a huge fan of salads. Uh-huh. And I, I will never be able to live it down because ever since then, anytime I'm at somebody's house, like, oh, I'm so sorry, there's a salad. I'm like, <laughs> I'll eat it if you give it to me. I just like won't go out of my way to you go make it yourself, right? <laughs> yeah. Don't live it down. Well, but like... I think that's because we, and not to go off on too much of a tangent, we live in a culture where everyone thinks that every meal must be your absolute favorite Pinterest meal in the whole world. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's just go down this road right now because that is one of my pet peeves. I'm listening. Keep going. Yeah. So it's just food, right? Like, right. You have, like, I love, uh, on y'all's recommendation, I read that book, Chew the Fat. Oh, yeah. So the one lady says, we had food, we cooked food, we ate food, or something like that, right? Like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. We recipes. Yeah, we just, and so I, I felt, so I feel like we just live in a culture where we think everything must be your absolute favorite or it's disgusting. And that's oh, not true. It's okay to just have a okay meal. An okay, like, it's not my favorite, yeah. but I'm going to eat it because it's food. And that's what we do with food is we eat it. You know? you know how many times we have like scrambled eggs and a piece of sourdough bread? Oh, yeah. That's there you go. Eat yeah. It. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We do, too. So and I think I know that you were raised in a large family. We have six children. And at one point, okay. we only have one that still lives with us. All the others are adults. And but so when everyone was here, nobody got their favorite meal very often. Because I, on your birthday, that's exactly, what you got. Yes. <laughs> that is it exactly. So my kids are so, like one of my daughters. My oldest daughter doesn't like soup, and so we still have soup like all the time. Yeah, and she would just guess what? she would just not eat the brothy stuff, you know. And so yeah. uh, when we would go somewhere and they would serve soup, and they would apologize because they would hear me joke about her not liking soup, and we make it. <laughs> I'd be like, it's okay, she'll eat it. It's not like just. Yeah, gross. <laughs> not like it has to be. She's not like, gagging in the corner. That is such a good point, though, about the big family. I didn't really think about that, but I, I actually took me a long time, and I still like, still feel like I'm trying to figure it out what my favorites are of lots of things because I don't ever remember having an opinion about food as a kid. I remember yeah. there was one dish that I remember. Like my mom would make fried rice. Oh yeah. Don't ask me why. For some reason I didn't like it. Oh. But I never verbalized it. Like, yeah. why would you even say that? I just ate it. Because you know she's gonna make it. <laughs> You're yeah. gonna have to eat it anyways. Well, I she, remember Yeah. She probably yeah, didn't make things that she didn't really care for. But someone else in the family does. So she sure. made it and she ate it. For sure. She yeah. made food and we ate it. Because yeah. it was what she had. <laughs> It was what was available, affordable enough for a big family right? Um, in our area, you know, and that you, yeah, I don't, I literally don't even remember. I, oh, oh actually I do remember one time I made a comment. Um, one time <laughs> my mom and my sister had made macaroni and cheese. And I remember particularly we didn't have enough cheese. 
that time and so it was like milky and they had said oh we don't have enough cheese it's going to be interesting and i said at the table wow seems like this macaroni doesn't have enough cheese my dad was like wow seems like you don't have enough manners (laughs) i think that was the only time i ever said anything (laughs) and now and yeah i i I don't know that we were particularly picky kids because we didn't really have a choice right right yeah well that's funny yeah um i feel like people always think allison and i must have really elaborate meals because they say like oh you i just it's so fancy and i'm like i don't i don't think you realize we're not eating like pinterest food all the time right right yeah it's it's interesting for sure Mm -hmm. yeah well i I always i always wonder if that's why people feel overwhelmed in the kitchen because everything has gazillions of ingredients yeah and um like obviously sometimes we make things that are kind of intense because it's fun right but that's not our mainstay that would be too draining right and i think that people also um especially here in the states they don't know how to not follow a recipe they don't know how to just put things in a pot and it Mm -hmm. tastes decent Mm -hmm. or they're scared to they probably (laughs) could they could but they just they're scared to because they don't have a recipe yeah and and if they only had good ingredients in their house it's really hard to mess it up when you only have really good stuff right like yeah like sauteing everything in butter or bacon grease yeah uh, done <laughs> done and done <laughs> yeah they don't have to try to mask or cover up flavors i remember my aunt telling me that she always um she she one day realized that people made so many sauces for chicken because they were just trying to cover up the flavor of oh. like the yeah factory chicken and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's a good point yeah we just eat i mean we cook it with salt and pepper and take it right out of the oven and we're like eating it off the pan right hot. oh good you yeah. know yeah that's what we do yeah so, so delicious do you raise yeah. meat birds also we do not um we buy from a um from the farmer's market from a local nice. farmer for all of our nice. meat yeah that's awesome yeah that's awesome. i um I, we have in the past but you know, I've gone from having four boys at home to zero boys at home. And it oh. makes a difference. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what yeah. I want to do. And my, my yeah. husband, you know, my, my husband also um, is disabled. He has stage four cancer. And so, and has for almost three years now. And so wow. his mobility is very limited too. So the things that, okay. so, you know, we're in that season of downsizing things. and yeah. um. But, you know, it's good. So it, it gives us an opportunity to support our local um, 100%. growers, yeah. which I think is so important um, yeah. to do. I, I mean, farms need customers and customers need farms. Absolutely. That's, that's symbiosis there. Um, and and I also am a believer that, you know, you don't necessarily have to do every single thing. Like there can oh. be the guy who's really good at beef. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah who's really good at chicken like yeah. they don't have to be the same pair of legs right they absolutely be. don't have to be are you looking for a powerful source of nutrients to enhance your overall health and well-being look no further than beef organ capsules from one earth health where the cattle graze on lush new zealand pastures 
The beef organs are sourced from 100% pasture-raised cattle, ensuring that you receive the highest quality and most nutrient-dense organ meat available. Beef organs are some of the most nutrient-dense foods you can find with high levels of vitamins A, K and the B complex. Customers report more energy, improved skin health and a strengthened immune system thanks to the powerful nutrients found in these organs. For a limited time, One Earth Health is offering Ancestral Kitchen podcast listeners a 5% discount on all orders and free shipping. Each bottle has 200 capsules and comes in cheaper than other New Zealand-based organ supplements. Take advantage of this amazing deal and experience the benefits of beef organs for yourself. Order now and enjoy the incredible health benefits of One Earth Health's beef organs made with care and quality in New Zealand. Visit oneearthhealth.com forward slash ancestral kitchen. The link is in the show notes. Wow. Okay. I have so many questions. Like I don't even know how to start this, but I'm just going to start by asking what, okay. So first off, these are the questions I get all the time. Okay. I'm going to tell you before we start. Okay. Like, like I would say almost daily. Um, am I going to kill my family if I'm canning food? Okay. I get that question all the time. Um, this is, this is, I always wanted to can, but it's too hard. It's too hard for me. And then, um, pressure canning is a bridge too far for many people yeah and then what am I gonna get out of canning this food I see that it's a lot of work I have to wash a lot of dishes <laughs> I have to chop a lot of things uh, do I save money like what's the point okay so these these are questions I get all right. the time am I gonna kill everybody is it too hard and what's the point right so let's just go down this sort of general trail and start with why do you preserve what got you started? Why are you so passionate about it? Why do you open a conversation with, I could talk about preserving food (laughs) all day. Like, tell me why. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I stumbled into preserving food and that when my husband and I first got married, he found a dewberry patch, which is our local variety Mm. of wild blackberries And he picked a whole bunch and he brought them home. And uh, I mean, like gallons, he picked gallons when I say a whole bunch. And so he, I called the only person in my life that I knew who grew food and canned food. And that was my granny. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. And I said, Hey, can you teach me how to make dewberry jam? Mm -hmm. And she said, Sure go to the store and buy a box of sure gel and follow the directions. And I was like, Oh, okay. Surely there's more to it than that. And, and she did live. What is the incantation? She did live six hours away, you know, and her place was magical, uh-huh. you know? And yeah. so to me as a kid. And so, um, I just thought that I like the people who are asking these questions. I thought there was some huge, I thought it was some ordeal, like that's only secret, only some people could do it, not other people. Yeah, yeah. She just, and with her sixth grade education, just broke down all those barriers, right? Just go buy a box of sure gel and follow the directions. I love that. Basically, you can read and you can follow directions and you can do this. So that's what we did. We went to the store, bought sure gel and sugar 
and followed the directions. And we were hooked from that moment. We gave, we went and picked more. We gave them as Christmas gifts and um, people raved on it, of course. And so it was fun. It was a good um, introduction into the world of food preserving. And um, my husband was actually in school and some in seminary for the first 10 years of our marriage. Wow. So money was really tight. And during that time we had four of our six kids. Uh huh. So we were super, super poor. And, um, when we lived wherever we lived, we grew a little garden, we started gardening and then we started putting up what was left over. And mm -hmm. I mean, every bit of leftover, like that wow. we weren't eating fresh, we would put up. And so in some way, whether we would freeze it or can it or dehydrate it, um, we tried really hard not to waste any of the food because I feel like food is the, was the one area in my budget that I could really control. Um, totally. Yeah. It, you know, I can't really, we live in South Texas. I can't really control our electricity bill in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it'd still be nice to people, but I can control <laughs> our food. Right. And so yeah. that became my, my, how I helped our family because, um, after our second son was born, I stopped working full time. And so, um, so that became my motivation was how can I help save our money and feed our family good food um, without breaking, you know, our grocery budget every month. Yeah. And so, um, so that was the beginning. Okay. So thank you, Granny. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I thank her every, every time I put up something, it just makes me smile and think of my granny. Absolutely. Yeah. My grandma always had canned stuff too. And she still cans. Mm -hmm. all of it, so, and is that what led you to writing these books, just generating all those recipes? Were people asking you yeah. for recipes all the time? Uh, they were. And no, there's not a whole lot of people in my real, my real, like my, my life, uh -huh. my in real life life <laughs> that, uh, that life, life. can and put up food. And it kind of makes me uh -huh. sad. And I understand yeah. why people don't do it. And I certainly don't expect people to do, um, like to the quantity that I, that I did, especially that I did when all my kids lived here. Um, but it would make me sad when I would see people spend, um, you know, tons of money on food that just wasn't really that great for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. instead of just spending an afternoon, um, putting it up themselves, you know, and right. so, um, so as I, um, when I put up food, like, so when I put up tomatoes, when they start coming in, I don't just can them all. Like I do different things with them at the same time. So some, all, depending upon what the tomato is, some I'll ferment, some I'll dehydrate, you know, some I'll can, some I'll freeze because I don't because sometimes I freeze tomatoes before I can them. Um, and so in some, so I really wanted a book that was divided into sections where I could have all my recipes for each item by itself, if that makes sense. 
So I would right. have like yes. all my my corn recipes together, all my tomato mm-hmm. recipes together, all my yes. um, you know, whatever, green bean recipes together. And so as I um as I started developing this notebook, then um then through our through a series of events and introductions, I got introduced to um, an editor at Page Street Publishing and said, hey, I have this idea for a book. And she was like, oh, yeah, there's nothing like that on the market right now. So that'd be great. Yeah. So that's what. So I wrote The Ultimate Guide to Preserving Vegetables first. And that came out in. Right. It was supposed to be April of 2020, but I think it didn't come out until maybe early June because of COVID. Um, and oh, yeah. All the yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, that's all a blur, but I think that's, it was late. It wasn't in April. Yeah. And then in August, she contacted me and said, hey, we would really like to have a pressure canning book done. Would you be interested? Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's really oh, my yeah, jam. Oh, yeah, let me at it. <laughs> <laughs> and she was, so anyway, so we did that, and that came out in... 2021. I can't mm. even honestly remember wow. when. I do not even know how you did that. <laughs> Allison well, and I just about died writing our cook. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I'm just going to say <sighs> when they've already paid you up front a little bit, there's a little more motivation. Like, I gotta get but this. That's stuff. all I did. So actually, when they when they asked me to write the second book, I chatted mm-hmm. with my family about it because I was like, I don't know that I could go through seven months of that again because that's uh-huh. by the time we did all the editing it was four months to write then we did the editing um they hired a um photographer out of austin to take the photos um and a food stylist um so those are not my photos i do not that the beautiful work of the books is not mine <laughs> at all did they yeah how did they do i always wondered that how did they do the pictures like yeah. Did they have to come to your house and get okay. jars? Yeah, or? so uh, the Ultimate Guide to Preserving Vegetables, um, Dennis and Darcy came to my house, which okay. was really fun to see them, you know, here in my home. And yeah. they spent three days. We did all the photos in three days. I mean, they were oh my gosh. amazing. They had oh, a plan. Mm-hmm. It was impressive to watch. And then um, for the pressure canning book, I actually traveled with two jars of every recipe um, to Austin, outside of Austin. And we took the photos at a flower farm um, in an old, um, an old, like, um, she had a farmhouse. And so it was just very interesting. So um, I'm just flipping through the pictures now because there are so many pictures. They're so beautiful. I mean, they took a lot. They're gorgeous. They just... Yeah. Well, you, I was, I'm reading Stet, which is by Diana Athill, who's Uh an editor in the UK, um, in the late forties on. Yeah. And she talked about cookery books and she said, uh, yeah, the kind of cookery books we used to write would never sell anymore. (laughs) They had no pictures. Right. Right. And now books, um, cookbooks pretty much have to have pictures. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and they don't absolutely have to. Like Cooks Illustrated doesn't. And sometimes they'll do a center with colored pictures, but right. Um. Anyways, but I I absolutely love that the pictures are in here because I feel like 
you can take a jar off the shelf and be like, yeah, see, this is what it looks like. This is what it should look okay, like. Yes. Like, yes. Okay, yes. And I'm, I'm glad you said that because when we first started talking pictures, I told the editor, I was like, okay, so you need to understand something. Canned food, is, unless it's jams or jellies or fruit, like canned meat, uh-huh. isn't uh-huh. so pretty in the jar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, so I said, I just need what did you, they say? I just need y'all to understand that, which is why when you look at a lot of canning books, you'll notice that they're not showing the end product. Like they'll show the green beans and corn and the jar before being canned, but very few after pictures. Yeah, that's so true. So it was super... I did notice that about yours, that you actually have pictures. And like, I like how you opened the jar. Like I'm looking at, let's see, on page 108 right now, Uh your honey garlic pork chops Uh and your beef stir fry. You have two of those jars open. And, like, I just want to pick up the jar, grab a fork, and go to town. Like, they look so good. Yeah, um, yeah. And then on the header page for your legumes chapter, your black-eyed peas and ham. Uh-huh. Okay, literally, how do your beans look so nice, though? Like, that is something, when I was asking people, what should I ask her? What, what, I'm going to talk to, like, the legend. What <laughs> What is the questions that we have? And and um, somebody said, um, beans, you know, when you can them all the liquid comes out like, okay is that fine like wait can we just go there <laughs> yeah we sh- we can go there sure so i Let's think talk about it. yeah there's a couple of important things um that i think with canning beans is um if the liquid is all going out you probably have too many beans in your jar to begin with because they're probably soaking up all the liquid so it's really important it sounds counterintuitive but you need to pre-soak your beans um, just like you would before you were going to cook them, you know, fresh on the stove. Pre-soak the beans with plenty of water. Like they'll start to split if you, if they kind of dry out at the top. If you ever notice a a bowl of beans that you've been soaking has some split ones, it's usually at the top where they've kind of come up out of the water and have dried out again. So um, yeah, plenty of water and then just put, fewer beans in your jar the um usda says that that it takes like um three and a fourth pound i just looked this up the other day three and a quarter pounds of beans for seven pints or nine pints of jars and five pounds of beans for seven quarts of jars i think that's too much Okay. I I don't fill my jars quite that full. Okay. So um so I think that could be a thing too. If okay. so the water is probably um being soaked up by the beans, by there being too many beans. Because gotcha. I think what people do is they soak the beans if they soak the beans and they put them in the jar with just a one inch headspace and then they try to pour water on top and keep a one inch headspace. Uh-huh. You can't really do that. Okay. So you need to put less beans and then just use your water up to the one inch headspace. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally yeah. makes sense. Okay. Otherwise, okay. you end up with this clump of beans, especially at the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, totally. With yeah. No, so no I will say with the photography, everything in there in this book, everything in there is the actual finished product. But, you know, there, Darcy is a food stylist. So she did like, yeah. you know, open the jars and clean them up a little bit, bring like the 
the meat up to the top before, you know, Dennis, of course, fo- photographed it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. but, but, you know, it was really important to me that they were, that they were real pictures of the real things that we did. Yeah. So, oh my gosh, I yeah. made the mistake of turning to your wild hog pulled pork page oh where she gosh. had that tray with this. Okay. So for the listeners, listening pleasure <laughs> there's this metal tray and she's got these really nice looking buns with um stuffed with pulled pork she's got thinly sliced red onions a bowl of pickles and sliced jalapenos and it just looks awesome. yeah and that's that's all the food stylist <laughs> that is not me at all yeah at all. i love it i can hey, make good food but it's not really always the prettiest food but what's interesting to me is that it's not the food. It's that the stylist has her touch and she knows yeah. how to make it look pretty. It's the food, obviously your food is pretty because I'm looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> and your mincemeat, your traditional mincemeat pie filling, like I had no idea you could can that. But yeah. I yeah. am looking at it. Yeah. And it looks, I love, I love the little tiny pot she used where she put the crust in the pot. Yeah. And filled it with it. It's so, so pretty. Um, everything in these books is delicious. Absolutely delicious. Hey, you washing the dishes. (laughs) Been there. You've heard Allison and I talk over and over about her love of rye sourdough bread. Well, I might actually call it an obsession, but that's neither here nor there. Now you can make Allison's rye sourdough in your own kitchen with her as your teacher. And she's a really good teacher. Rye is economical, it's delicious, and full of nutrients and low in gluten. There's a reason why it has been a darling of bread bakers for centuries. Make it into sourdough, as Allison will show you in her course, Rye Sourdough Bread, Mastering the Basics. And you've got an amazing, tasty, and nutritious staple in your kitchen. It's traditional, and it's nutritional. In this course, you'll learn everything there is to know about how she creates and maintains her rye sourdough starter, all about whole grain sourdough rye, including the key differences between baking with rye and wheat, how to make two loaves, an everyday rye sandwich bread, and a delicious Russian-style dark rye loaf, and what to do with your sourdough discard, including video walkthroughs for sourdough pancakes, and a tasty, sweet, spiced cake. Head to www.ancestralkitchen.com slash rye. Um, okay, so you had notebooks. You had an idea. You talked to the publisher. It happened. Yeah. Back to back. I back. just can't even imagine. Um, yeah. <laughs> with, <laughs> with the summer harvest. So yes. tell me about your... I guess your canning year. Um, I, I see canning as a year-round activity, mm-hmm. yeah. but I know like grocery stores tend to see it as a seasonal thing. Like right. harbor stores will carry jars at a certain season and sure. stuff like that. So what is your harvest or your um, canning year look like? So um, I think that that. That's a, that, that's a great question for each of us to think about. Like, how does our year go? When do we have time in the year to do certain things? Uh-huh. When is, um, 
you know, what has to be done. Like I just got done canning green beans because they're producing right now. And if I don't, soon it's going to be too hot and I'm not going to have any. So I stop everything else I'm doing and I can those things right now. And you have those in your garden? Yes. So our our year, just to give reference, because it's very different than most of the other places around the globe, probably. <laughs> is that <laughs> you're we, like almost equatorial, right? Yeah. Like you're, so it's, you're it's almost subtropical. We're right. We're just you know twenty miles from the coast of Texas, the Gulf wow. Coast. So, wow, you are close. Yeah. So uh, we um, technically we can grow year round. We have something coming out of our garden year round. Um but we have this time from like mid July through mid September where it's really just too hot to grow anything other than okra, basil, you know, that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh yeah. so our spring garden starts early. So I plant Usually in late February, early March. Whoa! I know. <laughs> and then we'll oh, harvest. Wow. Through, we'll <laughs> we harvest. still have snow on the ground. I know. <laughs> we'll harvest through uh, June and into July. Uh, we're still maybe getting a few tomatoes in July, but not very many because it's so hot. Um, if I can keep those plants alive. Then when it starts to cool off in late September, early October, they'll start producing again. Same thing with our peppers. We have this season where we don't get peppers because it's too hot. I didn't even know it could get too hot. I know, right? (laughs) I know. So I told you, so it's weird, right? But then in the fall, if the plants are still alive, if I can keep them alive, then we'll get this big, huge flush of peppers as it starts to cool off until our first freeze. So our first average freeze is um, like late November. And then our um, last average freeze is like mid to late February. (laughs) Yeah, our last freeze is in sometimes June. Right. And our first freeze is in September. (laughs) Right. You have a very short season. Very short. So so where what I joke about is that we have it like y'all have the dead of winter, we have the dead of summer. We're nothing gross. <laughs> you do. We oh do. My goodness. And so that's yeah. that's kind of when our break is for the garden. Okay. okay. So so it is very different. So um, similar similar where Allison is. Okay. Like, nobody does anything really in August. Yeah. Like nothing happens she can't get stuff from the farm and things like that yeah it's just too hot yeah mm-hmm. so when the green beans that i just put up but we'll eat those during that that summer time where we don't have fresh okay. vegetables coming out of the garden other than okra and so mm-hmm. um and then i then we'll plant another thing of beans in the fall and we'll eat them fresh and then we can eat fresh from like from when the fall garden starts producing, say, late October through, um, you know, through the summer or through the spring. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, the so beans will die, but beans, then, you know, we'll have broccoli and, sure, you know, those sure. kind of those winter things that will live all yeah. winter long. Do you get snow ever? We mm-hmm. have. <laughs> okay. So, uh, <laughs> so, uh. We actually, we, 
in 2004, we had 12 inches of snow on Christmas Eve, which was amazing. Um, it was like a dream come wow, true some, for some kid was praying very hard. Most, <laughs> most kids around here have never seen snow, especially like that. So then wow. uh, the last, um, uh, I don't know, again, maybe maybe four years ago, five years ago, it snowed in December just a little bit. And then in 2021, you know, all of Texas froze. Oh, yeah. And that, that was, was so weird. That was that. super weird. It was snow. I mean, it wasn't snow. Maybe there was some snow, but there was a lot of ice. Mm-hmm. And that's what, like, the bad thing was. But so yeah. the last couple of years, we have gotten down into, like, 18 degrees at least once, which normally wow. we don't get that low that's in the winter. Cool. Yeah. Normally our freezes are, you know, like 25 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. And that's that's just for a few hours or overnight. So we have to cover things, but, um, you know, I lost all my citrus trees in that 2021 freeze. So we've replanted, we're starting over. They'll come back. They'll be fine. But it was sad. (laughs) Yeah. And I, you made me think about it. I didn't really think about the industry down there. There's, I'm sure there's industries that, um, I mean, if you had a thousand acres of citrus trees, Oh, yeah, you can. This is a problem. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it is. Wow. So, okay, so back to our canning year. So, I, um, during the summer, I'll can the things that just absolutely, or, or can or freeze or dehydrate or ferment the things that absolutely have to be done then. So, our cucumbers are starting to come in, so I'll be making, you know, gallons of, um, fermented um dill pickles um oh, i'm the only person in my family that likes them and i make oh, them for what? me <laughs> i know good I know. for you my husband does not me. like pickles and he has turned almost all of my children against me <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, a couple of my boys like pickles and so i make a few variety of pickles i make my grand my grandmother's bread and butter pickles um so if recipe. I was at your house, I'd be mobbing those jars. Yeah. Because <laughs> I love dill pickles. <laughs> yeah, I love fermented dill pickles way better um, than canned dill pickles. Yeah. Yes, and they don't yeah. have that canned dill pickles, that vinegar bite, you know, that real harsh bite. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, but some of my boys I like that. one gallon jar of fermented dills left. Mm-hmm. And... It got put. It it froze. Oh, long story short, yeah, it froze on accident, and so now I've been trying to think. I'm when you eye the jar, they look so delicious and good, <laughs> but when you eat them, they're quite mushy. Oh yeah. Um, so I'm trying to think like, is there anything I can do with them? But I I don't. Yeah, you can turn them into relish, and add it to like you know chicken salad or something. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yum. Yeah. I have chickens. So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so when the tomatoes come in, I usually just freeze them until I have time in the fall like, to can cool. them. Yeah. I just take, um, okay, we call it the belly button, but it's where the stem goes on the tomato. Uh, yeah. That's just, obviously the belly button. Yeah. <laughs> that's where the umbilical cord attaches it to the plant. <laughs> 
So we just see no problem with yeah, this. We cut that out, throw it in Ziploc bags, throw it in the freezer. And then the, the cool thing is, is when you pull those out and they start to thaw off, the skins just slip right off. Yeah. So yeah. you don't yeah. have to, you know, boil them and cool them and take the skins off. Literally the worst thing about tomatoes. It is. So freezing them <laughs> is the hack, right? And so, um, so we'll do that. Um, and then I also will make um, a lot of um, stews in the summer. So okay. like um, a lot of the soup recipes in the pressure canning book will happen during the summer. So the um, nice. corn chowder, for sure the vegetable stew um, that's in there with the meat will happen because that's that's a family favorite yeah so all of those things zucchini and tomatoes i do yeah yeah and i really like that zucchini and tomato because there's only there's it's like the only way to can according to the usda to safely can zucchini Um, yeah it's very limited when it it comes to zucchini isn't it yes it's the only the only way is to add it with tomatoes and so when you cook when you um they, because they turn to mush. I can't even imagine mm-hmm. somebody desiring to can a whole jar of canned <laughs> zucchini and then eating it afterwards. So, um, but it's really good um, over like a stuffed pasta, like a ravioli. Oh, and the zucchini okay. just kind of disintegrates throughout the sauce. I'm into this. Um, it's really nice. I need it. So, I need it. <laughs> and so... Um, then during the the year we use those um those canned goods in case the power goes out or we have a freak freeze and lose power for a week. How would that ever happen? Or if we have a hurricane, <laughs> that's the other thing. We, Ooh, so if oh, we have yeah. a hurricane, I always want to make sure that I have food and at least enough food for us for a week. Um so we have jars from last year that are just off limits until we get into like replace them with food for this year for hurricane season. Um, So, um, you know, we had Hurricane Harvey come through in 2017. Oh, my God. And, um, yeah, it came in August. So I'd already done all the canning um, from the garden for, you know, stews and chili con carne. That's another family favorite. Mm. And um, we were without power for a week, and a lot of our neighbors well, all of our neighborhood was too, because we live outside the city limit, so we were low priority. <laughs> and so, yeah. um, yeah, we were able to share our jars with with elderly oh. neighbors yeah. and um, people who just didn't have, for whatever reason, were not prepared and didn't have the means to go replace things in their refrigerator once the stores opened back up. And so, um. It was an amazing feeling to me to be able to do that, that we, that we were able to participate in our community in a way to give to them in a time of need. And it was, that is awesome. And giving them something so good. Yeah. Yes. And then, you know, when it was all said and done and I got my jars back, I had to refill them for the winter. (laughs) Yeah. So, which which was fine. Like I I really thought that my I remember my kids going, Mom, you're giving that away. I was like, Yes, 
yeah, it's, I know that I'm going to have to refill it. I get that. I'm probably going to have to go to the grocery store and buy things that I normally wouldn't so I can refill, refill them. But, Uh but it's what, it's what we do. Like it was a good opportunity for me to show my kids. This is what we do. We don't hold on to these things. Like we, we do it so that we are prepared, but we don't hold on to them for only for us. And so, um, so yeah, I th- so well canned soups, then things like dry beans, um, mm-hmm. that I can get any time of the year, you know, buy at the yeah. grocery store. I can those over the like the winter months. Yeah. Kind of in that yeah. lull between gardening. Um, I think meat could be done at that same time. Um, if you're raising your own meat, it's different. I you're you know, you're on a different schedule than I would be right, right, <laughs> when I'm buying right. it. But um so over the winter is when I do meats, meats that don't have vegetables. So like plain meats, uh-huh. like I really yeah. like, I really like to just put chicken in a jar on the, in the bone or on the bone yeah, and add a little water and can it um, and have this canned chicken. I feel like I have the best of both worlds because it's still on the bone. So I'm getting all those nutrients in the broth uh, from yeah. the bone. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> like a chicken canned in bone broth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Without having to make the bone broth. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. So, um, so yeah, I think everyone, every family is going to be a little different because their seasons are different because their life is different. Mm-hmm. But um, try to save those things that you can can at any point of the year for the like yeah. the off seasons when you're not just crazy busy. And then really think about like what your um, what your family likes, like do not preserve something your family doesn't like, period. Okay. Like, that's that's so funny because that is, that is just such good advice. And yet I can't even tell you how many people are like, oh, I have 44 cans of something that none of us like. It's like right. Like, yeah. That's so crazy. <laughs> I know. And I think we've all done it, right? Oh uh, yeah. We well, would've... sometimes you can something and it's just a flop nobody's into it right what do I do right and then you yeah you can feed it to the animals (laughs) yeah Um, compost it but but um yeah don't don't like and and there's no judgment so like my family does not like frozen green beans period they don't like there's a squeak factor to it you know when you eat and they kind of squeak (laughs) Yes, thank you. They do not like it. Um, I don't care for um, canned green beans. They're a little mushier than I like. My favorite, obviously, is fresh. Uh, Uh But I have children whose favorite is canned. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So we can some for the interim time, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't ever freeze green beans, even though it's easier. And even though I could force them to eat it. It's not worth it to me to do yeah, that. Yeah, I, I have don't... friends who their family loves frozen green beans, and they would yes. they can't stand gr- fr- you know canned green beans. Okay, yeah. that's great. Don't can green beans. Yeah, you know. Do it. So yeah, I feel like that's a, a lot of people I know. They prefer the frozen ones that I've always just thought I was the odd one out. I preferred them canned. Yeah, and I love canned green beans, man. Yeah. <laughs> mm. I love them. <laughs> That's awesome. So and don't think that everything has to be canned. There are, you know, just everything, you know, it, it could be frozen. It could be 
Um, there needs to be different levels in your food preserving um, or different layers. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. Different layers. You know, don't have everything on one layer. So, um, you know, some of our chicken is frozen and some of our chicken is canned. Um, yeah. Some of our, um, you know what I'm saying? Like there, there should be some this variety yeah. so that depending upon what happens in your life, you could be somewhat prepared for it. Yeah, your ultimate guide to preserving vegetables, you basically listed six versions on the front of mm -hmm. how vegetables, canning, pickling, fermenting, dehydrating, freezing, and fresh. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. What does your... Yeah, I okay, so just to summarize what you just said, I definitely agree, though. Like, I always say winter is like the canning bone broth or... Yeah. Um, even even if you're just throwing bags of bones in the freezer as you go and accumulating a bunch and canning it, you know, I'm I am not canning beans in August. Like it's not happening. Right. <laughs> like I'm barely surviving everything else. Right. Right. Canning beans. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, like when when bins are rotting on my porch, I'm right. not finding myself more work to do. Um, do you? have a list of things you always have stocked in your pantry do you just kind of say oh we have what we have based on what we have um what comes in from harvest or whatever yeah yeah um I have kind of, I have a list that I um that I'd like to attain of okay each year of different things so um so like I know I need probably, you know, thirty pints of um, of green beans, and that's just all my head because that's you know what I just did was green beans. So once I hit that level, I'm done. Uh -huh. So now okay. I'm just we're eating fresh. It doesn't matter how many pounds of green beans I'm pulling out of my garden. We're just giving them away because okay. um, I'm done because I have enough for what our family needs and that's for our family now with only three people home it was much different when I had all six kids home you know it was you know 50 quarts of green beans <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, not 30 little pints yeah. so yeah you know um okay so I do try and to keep track of some things like I know approximately how many dried bean jars I need of different various dried beans Mm -hmm. um, during the year for the year to make it. But then if I'm out, like if I'm out of white beans, then we usually just kind of go without until uh -huh. we're out of like almost all the beans yeah. and then I'll <laughs> go ahead and can more. Yeah. If that makes sense. So it's not like you try to always have every single kind of everything on the shelf. You know? Oh No. <laughs> I'm a firm believer that it's okay to go without. <laughs> yeah. I agree. So yeah. It's what makes it special when you have it, you know? Yes. Yes. We have some things that we literally couldn't make enough of it uh, to go 12 months. Like there's just mm -hmm. no way. And yeah. so it's a short little season where we just enjoy that thing, mm -hmm. whatever it may be. And then when that time of the year rolls around again, you're like, oh, yeah, this is coming. Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah. And that, I, that I is what makes it special. Yeah. Yeah. Like, 
you don't have your Christmas tree up all the time. That's why it's exciting. Yeah. And I think that we've <laughs> lost that in our culture where we can yeah, have anything true. we want at any point. Yeah. Go to the grocery store and get like a um, pre-made version of something. And you're like, look. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So oh, my youngest it. son used to hate cabbage and we pretty much only eat cabbage in the winter. And so, uh, because that's when it grows in our garden. And so right. one fall, I was like, oh, look, we're, he said, well, what are we going to have for dinner? And I was like, oh, we're having, you know, sausage, you know, p- potatoes and cabbage. And he's like, oh, we haven't had cabbage in so long. I love cabbage. Whoa. What? I know. I said, what? I said, I thought you hated <laughs> cabbage. And he was probably six or seven at the time. He goes, well, uh-huh. I used to hate cabbage and you made me eat it all the time. And then we didn't eat it. And now I love it. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. And, you know, just kids taste change obviously people say but i think there is something to that we had it and it was like yeah associated with family time and then we didn't have it Uh and now it's coming back yeah oh i love that that's brilliant yeah i feel like there's a lot of things like that if we would give them a chance yeah you know yeah but a lot of people try something one time and then they spit it out even Mm -hmm. and they're like no never again and that's just the end of it yeah i agree yeah. So interesting. Yeah. I um, want to try my cooking again. It's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, so, yeah. So I think that um, take, take notes. That's a good thing to do. Take notes while you're canning, how many jars you or, uh, or bags or whatever you frozen or how many pounds you dehydrated of something. And then, um, how many you used, because maybe you're using not as many as you think you need, or maybe you're using a lot more um, of whatever it is. So I think especially right. for a couple of years, it's good to take a lot of notes on I what think you're I often doing. Don't use as much as I anticipate that I will. That's often yeah. the way it goes. Like yeah. Especially if you have a lot of variety. Head. Totally. Yeah. 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 It's like when you put a meal on the table, if you've got 10 different dishes, you know, they can be smaller dishes. Right. Obviously, I'd never do that. But yeah, you know, if you were to. <laughs> but in but... theory, when you go to a buffet <laughs> or a potluck. Yeah. Yeah. But when you're making that dish, you're thinking, how's this going to feed 10 people? You know, mm-hmm. but everybody's not. My mom would always remind me, well, everybody's not filling up on coleslaw. You right. know, putting it on the side of something. You don't need right. 40 gallons of it. <laughs> right. Right. Do you. Uh, okay. One one thing in your book mm-hmm. that I think everybody is going to love, the pressure canning book specifically, specifically, sorry, I can't talk, um, is that there are so many meals. Oh, yeah. And that's everybody's, um, that's everybody's, it's, it's the Achilles heel, right? Right. Of eating off the farm or eating local or not going to fast food or um, graduating out of supermarkets or whatever it is, is, but what if I need something right now and I need it fast? Well, I open to any page um, and I'm just going to open to a page. Okay. Turkey Tetrazzini. Look at that. So you've got this canned turkey with mushrooms and like a broth. And then you've got explain the um 
for serving for one quart jar. So, so you've got this recipe that goes with your canned thing. I mean, you would make right. this so fast. It, the turkey's already cooked. The mushrooms are already like. Right. And the picture looks right. Fine. So you just, you could, uh, yeah, the pictures. <laughs> you uh, <laughs> could boil noodles or you could already have noodles frozen that were pre-boiled, frozen, um, that you just have to thaw out. And you would, um, you would need to thicken the sauce. It's, you know, yeah, so you've got your pour the jar into a pot, thicken the sauce. Then you add the sauce and the cooked noodles together in a casserole pan. You can yeah. put breadcrumbs on top. I mean, that's how it's normally served. And you would bake it. That one takes mm. a little bit longer. But you could also take that same jar and you could thicken the sauce and serve it over leftover rice from the night before. Oh my goodness. That's literally what I was just thinking. I was like, man, I would crush this on rice. So yeah. Much. I mean, you could, um, <laughs> you could so boil good. it and drop some, um, fresh noodles in it and have a turkey mm. noodle soup. I mean, there's, me you're not limited by what, like the book says, this is turkey tetrazzini and then make it like tetrazzini. You can take the jar and say, <laughs> what yeah. should I use this jar for today? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that... just turkey and onion. I mean, turkey and mushrooms and uh broth oh yeah it's I really mean. not tetrazzini right so good <laughs> no no but it's the base for right a hundred different things when right. allison and i wrote the cookbook we I, I struggled personally very hard with what to write for the recipe because i was like well i never really do it the same way twice like we've made right. this hundreds of times and sometimes there's a sort of a preferred mode but like you said sometimes i have fresh noodle um dough in the fridge sometimes i'm in a rush and i just make some rice on the stove like it, it changes all the time and i worried that people would feel pinned in by the recipes you know right right but i also know that if i give people too many options they get overwhelmed and they're like okay then what am i even supposed to do yes but, yeah um, okay but and i think y'all did a great job in that soup. oh uh, thank you of doing that, of giving people the freedom. Like sometimes people just need yeah. to be told that they're free to do whatever in their own kitchen. Yeah, totally. Um, and then other people don't. Like they yeah. just are yeah. rule breakers and do what they want to do. Uh, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> what, what are you talking about, rule, break, rule breakers? I don't know any of those. Never met her. Um, your butternut squash and white bean soup. I mean, you could literally eat. You, you've got you you've got it served with cream and chives, but you could eat it literally, like right out of the jar. You could, yes. Oh yes. my goodness, so amazing. Um, I just want to eat everything in here. Right, and so, so I think well, that's an important thing with like the, pre especially pressure canning. Of mm -hmm. all the preservation methods, I think pressure canning gives you the most diversity and freedom for our modern yeah. busy lives. I 100% agree. So, um, so I mean, when you were you asking earlier, like, what's the payoff of yeah. the work? There's the payoff. The payoff yeah. is um, when you have four extra people of your, you know, your kids, your kids are there with three extra people and they say, hey, mom, by the way, we're start, we're staying for dinner. Uh -huh. And you're like, okay, that's fine. And you just go pull, you know, six cans of chili con carne off the, mm. off the, pantry you know cat shelf and put it in a pot and you're like okay yeah. dinner served we have some chips <laughs> like a carne yeah yeah and it's okay and that's 
you know, I always want people to feel welcome in my home, to stay mm-hmm. as long as they want. That I never want there to be like, oh, you can't stay because I didn't have enough food for you. No, no, no. We're mm-hmm. just going to go grab something. Um, and maybe it's just an extra can of um, corn or it's, um, or, or it's a light soup that we're going to use as an appetizer, right? Or a uh-huh. side. Uh-huh. And we're just going to make it more, you know, have that diversity of food um, so that everybody yeah. doesn't have to eat as much of one thing so that everyone can be welcome at the table. Um, oh. It also means that when my daughter gets out of dance at 845 at night... <laughs> and I'm tired that I don't have to not to say I don't ever go through a fast food place or mm-hmm. a drive through or pick something up, but I really have no excuse for it. <laughs> right. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's just by choice. It's just by choice. It's not because I have yeah. to, I have choices. Yeah. And I think that's what, that's the difference between like say pressure canning meals and like freezing meals. Is yeah. that they're just oh more readily available. Yes. And so for me, that's the big payoff. Yes, financial. Financially, it's it's cheaper to put the food in a jar and can it myself, even even adding in my time than it is to buy that same, you know, jar of soup, quantity of soup at the grocery store, a, a quality one. Um but it also it saves me time throughout the whole year on those busy nights or busy days. Absolutely. I mean, even if you are canning jars of beef, jars of beans, jars of, you know, frozen peppers, whatever, you still have to assemble it. Right. And right. Cause they're just ingredients. Yeah. Yeah. There's usually a point typically eight hours into a canning project, maybe 12 hour point where I'm like, wait, why am I doing this again? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I do think that the ingredients are important. You know, that can of, of, you know, beef stew meat, you can turn Uh into um, carne guisada. Oh, yeah. You know, you can you can put five different jars together and make a soup, put it in the crock pot earlier in the day. And you definitely Um, want to have those. But yeah. But when um, but when. Push comes to shove, <laughs> and you're driving past. We're driving past Chick Fil A, <laughs> and you go. I have soup in my pantry. Yeah. We're fine. <laughs> it's really hard to justify spending all that money, even though it is Lord's Chicken. <laughs> it is. But it is. Um, yeah. So fast, so fast. Like your beef pot pie filling is already there. It's ready to go. Right, which could be a soup too. It doesn't have it could to be, be a pot too. pie. You could, yeah, yeah, or you could have a frozen crust or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, I I always feel that moment in the long canning day where I'm like, is this? Am I really saving myself any time? You know. But then for the rest of the year, when I've got something that I can just get, I'm like, oh yeah, it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, that is when the payoff is. Yeah, and it, it, um, yeah, yeah, and I do want to go back and talk about the safety. Well, that was one of your questions. Was, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah, being safe and um, I um, if you pr- pressure canning is safe, one hundred percent safe. People will tell you horror stories of days gone by, but modern pressure canning canners have safety yeah. mechanisms, and yeah, you will not the lid will not blow off, and you will not blow up your house. 
unless Literally you're trying impossible. to, yeah, it just won't happen. Um, <laughs> if you follow the guidelines that, um, the safety guidelines that are published through like the USDA, there's a, um, the University of um, Georgia does a lot of testing on food preserving. Yeah. yeah. Um, they have a book called So Easy to Preserve, which is their studies and their their recommendations after their studies. Um, and then there's a site called the National Center for Home Food Preservation, which basically publishes all of the University of Georgia's work. So those three entities all work together, the USDA, National Center for Home Food Preservation, and the University of Georgia. Um, all their work is kind of the same. And so um, I'm assuming they collaborate because they all look the same even. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if you follow their recommendations, their safety guidelines, there is zero chance of harming your family. What happens yep. is when people say, my granny never used a pressure canner, so I'm not yep. going to use a pressure yep. canner. And that's when, and they're like, I'm just going to boil my, my meat for three hours. Okay. So right. maybe, <laughs> I mean, true. <laughs> oh maybe granny goodness. didn't. Um, but the, the USDA has not recommended that process of boiling for three hours or, or over a course of three days, which is another recommendation they used to have since oh. like 1917. So, um, and maybe your granny was fine. Maybe she never killed anybody when she did that, but that's no guarantee that you won't. It could just be that yeah. there was never any botulism spores in her jar, but you mm -hmm. cannot guarantee that there is not any botulism spores in your jars. Yeah. Or I mean, your food. So unlikely that there wouldn't be botulism everywhere. I think that's another thing that people don't realize is they're like, what if there's botulism? I was like, well, there is. 100% right. there is. Right. What and we're so, going to do is show you how to neutralize it. <laughs> right. And so, exactly. And so in order to neutralize the spores, because the spores aren't dangerous at all. No. Right. Spore-relating, so, that's dangerous. Right. And so when when you pressure can to, to um, inactivate or kill the botulism spores, the temperature has to be 240 degrees Fahrenheit. And so that's the only way to reach that temperature is with a pressure canner, a water bath yeah. canner. It doesn't matter how long you boil it. It's never going over 212 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. And so, um, so that and it the activates reason, it. I'm sorry. I was going to say, if somebody's thinking, then why do I water bath my apple? It's because your apple is more acidic. Right, right. So the combination right. is so going to prevent, it's hostile for the botulism in, in the acid. Right. You're going to have other things that will be an issue before botulism and something like that. Right. So botulism to activate needs three things. It needs low acid, moist uh, environment, and no oxygen. That sounds so, like a yeah. <laughs> stove pop can. <laughs> something. <laughs> a, can, a can of green beans, right? A home can jar yeah, of green yeah. beans. Yeah. Yes. We, we, so when we can, we create this perfect environment. And so we really need to make sure that we inactivate or kill the spores before they can create so, a toxin. 
it's so easy to do if you just follow, like you said, if you just follow the directions. It is easy um, to do. Yes. They they build in like when you see those recipes, they take that the data from the University of Georgia and then they build in um, margin. Right. So if you're like, was I 30 seconds off? I, I don't remember. You know, they, they built in the margin for, I mean, it's like the Betty Crocker cake box recipes. Right. They made it kind of fail proof. So, right. um, so yeah, the, the recipes are built really, really well. And like you said, you will have no issue whatsoever as long as you follow the directions it's when somebody's like oh i'm not going to heat this first before i put it in as the recipe says well you should follow the recipe <laughs> right absolutely and so um this is that one time <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i there you do have to follow the guidelines when you're pressure canning the stakes are just too high yeah, guidelines is it's the right it's, it's different you know and so um, um yeah i and, and they're not they're not are inexpensive um you know, mm. I, for a oh. long time, I had, and I still do, I have an All-American that my mom had bought me years ago um, for a Christmas gift, and I love it, and I was somewhat of a pressure canner snob, and so then for the, when I wrote Obviously, the book. Obviously, because you had an American. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, was, I would do the little side eyes at the other canners, and then when I bought the book, I thought, or when I was writing the book, I thought, I am going to go buy the cheapest pressure canner, official pressure canner that I can find. And so Presto has had one yeah. for $79 at Walmart. And so I picked, I bought it and it works just fine. <laughs> and so yeah. for some <laughs> things, I actually, I like it better yeah. than, um, than my all American. It's lighter. Because well, you easier. don't have as many. Yes. It's, yeah. you know, it's just, it's easier to, it comes up to pressure faster and it, depressurizes faster i think because it's smaller my all-american i can double yeah. stack yeah but you know as i'm getting older it's really hard yeah. to take that all-american off that top shelf <laughs> uh yeah so those things are heavy they are heavy, heavy to start with and so you know in them. yeah so i'm no longer a pressure canner snob and so now i don't i really don't understand the i the attitude of i'm not gonna follow recommended guidelines i'm not going to use a pressure canner even though i know that every single time that there has been a botulism case with home canned foods it's because somebody has tried to can low acid foods in a water bath yep. canner literally 100 percent. you know literally and true. so um yeah so it's a small investment or they skipped a yeah yeah it's a really small investment for yeah. for ensuring safety um and you know it's it's a yeah. okay so go ahead well talk to me about <clears throat> I'm, a, I'm a bad canner because i've never tested my seals or anything ever oh okay <laughs> so okay, okay. you <laughs> talk about the this side of things because i've never done any of that okay but so, i feel like i should okay what canner do you <laughs> have talking to you. what what canner do you have uh, I have five of the Presto canners, the, okay. the can double stacking, so the deeper ones. Okay, yeah, yeah. So you have the um, the gasket in them. Yep. So if it dry rots, I mean, you just look at it. If it looks like it's yep. dry rotting, you yep. need to replace it. <laughs> yeah. 
if it's cracked and crumbled, you should probably not yeah, use it. If, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it, uh, mine I've had for three years. It's fine. And I've done a lot of, um, I've done a lot of um, canning with it. Some people just automatically replace them every year. I'm not going to. I'm just going to huh. look at mine and see if it needs to. Like I do everything else, right? And just yeah. see if it needs to be replaced. Um, if it has, okay, so the All-American has a gauge and a weight. And my Presto just has a weight. So if the All-American, if you look in their guidelines, I mean, their instructions, it says that it is a weighted gauge canner that the dial gauge is just for um, for you to observe the amount of time. So because okay. I know that my canner is being um, um, kind of run by the, the weight, like that's what determines um, what the pressure is, is the weight that you put on it. Um, <clears throat> I don't ever get my dial checked because... Okay. It's, it's, not, it's just there. It's just, you know, it's just an extra step. I probably, probably should. So I, but, you know, sometimes it says it's down to zero and it's not, but I'm not using it to determine if it's at 10, 10 pounds of pressure or not. I have my weighted gauge that's on there that's jiggling that tells me if it's at 10 pounds of pressure or not. Okay. That being said, if you're a Presto. And what is your, what does your weight look like on your Presto? Because um, I wonder, I think mine is weighted, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure because when I look online, I see a different one, but all of mine are, at, well, they're like 10-ish years old. Uh -huh. And so I thought, well, maybe they just changed it. Mine is just like a little black thing. But when I look online, I see these pretty shiny metal ones and I'm like, wait a minute, do I need one of those? Mine on my Presto has a black, a black thing that has, um three or two little discs on it. So the black thing by itself is five pounds. And then you add a disc to make it 10 pounds and you can add another disc to make it 15 pounds. Yeah. Mine doesn't have that. Did you buy yours new or used? Um, most, well, some of them I got new. Okay. Some I got new in box and some were given to me used. Okay. So, I mean, if the ones that you bought new, I'm sure they have all the pieces. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I have the matching pieces for all of them. Like yeah. They all have the same pieces. Yeah. So, but it should have a weight. So do you have a gauge also? Yeah. I think it does say weighted gauge, doesn't it? Yeah. It has a gauge also. Okay. Which so always the, threw me off because I'm like, wait a minute. So it does have a dial gauge. Yeah. Yeah. So some yeah. of them are gauged by the dial and you do, you should get those. Just double check to make sure that it's going to the right. If it says 10 PSI, it's really not at 8. But it is at the okay. correct PSI. But if I throw a weight on there, then does it not matter? It depends. It depends. Okay, so because without looking at your canner, I don't I don't know that if if your your instructions should tell you the instructions that came with your <laughs> Oh, am I supposed canner. to read those? Yeah. So uh you should. <laughs> Uh, the, the thing that you put over the vent may just be a way of sealing the vent. It may not uh -huh. actually be a weight. I think it is. I think it is just a seal. I'm looking online okay. right now and I see the one you're talking about with three rings. It's 12 bucks. Yeah. I'm just going to buy it. 
Yeah. Okay. I think that that was kind of my suspicion. I was like, ooh, maybe I don't have to buy anything. <laughs> yeah. So yours is probably I just a I dial do. gauge. I, I, I don't want to have to use the gauge. I would I'd rather use the weight. Yeah. Because yeah, I don't want to have to take it in and get it tested. Yeah. Um, and you can hear it. You don't have to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Checking in right now. Yeah, exactly. You can hear it. That's um I think um my husband actually he loves pressure canning. Uh-huh. So we'll have all the all the pressure canners going at the same time. And he has like sticky notes and timers everywhere. I oh, love that. Yeah. And he's just like running around this one's venting, this one's sealing, this one's building pressure. Like this is jam. <laughs> yeah, and you can do a <laughs> lot so you, if you have multiple pressure canners. My sister yeah. Um, yeah. She has an all American too that double sacks and we'll, she'll come over uh-huh. and we'll just knock out a year's worth of beans for, for both households. Oh you yeah. Know, in a day. Get her done. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. I, I even have other pressure canners too that I haven't used because they do have the crumbly, um, seals. Somebody gave them to me. And so I was like, oh, I won't use those until I replace pieces, gaskets and stuff. But, yeah. um, yeah, you can, if you want to get a couple going at the same time, I mean, we can't even keep up with getting the food in them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's, that's the only problem is the people working fast enough to get the food into the jars. Right. So, <laughs> the canners are going too fast. I just, if somebody's giving me a canner, I'm not going to say no. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> then when my girlfriends come over and we can together, it's like, we can do, like you said, everybody's in no time at all. Yeah. It's great which is pretty glorious. Um, so, so if somebody doesn't have the weight, would you say definitely go get your gauge tested? How yes. do you do that? Um, I would call your local county extension office and ask them um, if they test them. A lot of them do. And if not, some okay. kind of machine shop that does like welding. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like some kind of commercial type place would probably uh-huh. be able to test them how do they do it do you know like do they have to put the pot together and or do they just take the gauge like i think they just do the, the gauge i've never had mine tested so i don't really know but i think it's just you take your gauge in and they test the gauge huh wow i don't even know how that works but okay i think they shoot it with <laughs> i think they shoot it with air or something <laughs> Wow. Wow. So, like, like I think they put okay. it on something, you know? So. Yeah. I've never, it just, it's one of those, I don't even know where my extension office is. Like never really figured that out. <laughs> well, you have one. Well, <laughs> if you're I in have the US. one somewhere, somewhere. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what are, um, some of your, like a couple of your top picks, things that you just love to have on the shelf. Okay. You know, maybe you're famous for it in your community. You're known for it. People come over and they're like, can I have that? You know, what, what do you, what are some of those? Things? Okay, sure. Uh, so I think for my family is the, um, beef and vegetable stew and the chili con carne. Those are two that my fa- that all my entire family loves. I also like yeah. um, the venison carne guisada is another one that's super easy and mm-hmm. versatile. 
um, frozen pesto is oh great to goodness, have. I saw hand. that. There's a picture of that in the vegetable book. I saw it. <laughs> yeah. And, and really, our favorite is basil pesto, but there's also, you can use carrot top pesto is really good, um, which is what we wind up yeah. doing in the early spring when we've run out of basil pesto. <sighs> um, yeah. I think... So what do you do with your pesto? We use it for Friday night pizza night. We put it on pasta. We put it on sandwiches. We put it on egg. Do you do pizza <laughs> night every Friday? We do. We do. <laughs> I mean, yeah, most Fridays. Occasionally we'll have a Well, you did Friday. say you're a creature of habit. I, and <laughs> I also love, I love rituals and habits as well. So yeah, um, it didn't start out that way. When my older kids were younger, we did it like two, two weekends in a row. Uh -huh. homemade pizza and then the third weekend we were doing something different and my son said what it's a tradition <laughs> oh okay didn't know it was a tradition but for them you know so yeah, yeah. we've probably done it for 20 years on friday nights and so it's it's fun yeah. our family um you know our kids older friends they know when they come home for college if they come over on friday night they can have pizza with us and you know, it's just fun. It's been a really fun, meaningful tradition for our family. So. Yeah. I want to actually um, push into that a little bit, what you just said, and hear you talk a little bit more about that because you've alluded multiple times and I knew that you were this way, which is partly why I was so excited about, you know, the cookbook and you and everything. But the fact that you use this as a tool to enhance your hospitality and make your home, a welcoming space and a really good place for people to land and for the kids to come back to. Um, can you talk about your attitude around that a little bit? Um, sure. So I, um, mm, I grew up in a home where there wasn't a whole lot of traditions, a whole lot of family time together. Uh -huh. I mean, obviously we lived, we lived together, but that was, right. there just wasn't a lot of um, feeling welcomed. But we never had friends over. My parents didn't really have outside friends. Um, it was just a very interesting dynamic. And so, but when I would go to my grandmother's house and um, all of our cousins were there and she had this big table and there was just always stuff, food, like everyone was welcome at all times. And she was poor. I mean, way more poor than we were. And um and it was just, I didn't really understand that dynamic. Like you don't, when you're growing up, sometimes you don't understand that maybe some of the things in your, in your childhood are not the greatest until you observe them as an adult. Uh -huh. And so <clears throat> my husband grew up very differently. His, his family, they were Navy people and they traveled around the, the country and they made friends wherever they went and they always had parties and they had game nights and they had all these things. And so it was very different than what I had. And so when I, I wanted to make sure that when we had kids, for a variety of reasons, I really wanted our home to be a home where their friends felt welcome. Um, yeah. I really, mm -hmm. it was important to me to know their friends. Um, and mm -hmm. I think the best way to get to know someone is to have them in your home. And 100%. so, um, and so. Um, so that was a, a big motivation for me is that, um, yeah. I think that 
for hospitality. Hospitality isn't just something that that we um, like put on for for a time. Like, oh, I'm going to be hospitable to you when all these when my house is perfect and when my life is perfect and when I can fit it in. I want to be hospitable to you at all times. So if you come into my home and you know, I've got blankets and pillows all over the living room and the floor needs to be swept and but we're about this is our real life, you know? And to me that's what hospital being hospitable is and you're still welcome. And you're welcome to stay with us and you're welcome to eat with us. And there's enough, you know, I never wanted, even though we were poor, we were pretty poor for many years of our early marriage. I never wanted my kids to feel that we were poor. I always wanted them to feel like there was enough, like maybe not lots of excess, but enough. And so all of that for me wraps into this idea of providing for our family, providing for our community. <clears throat> and I think that as, as women of our home, even though my, my boys helped with canning, my husband helps with, with all of that as, as he is able to. And obviously before he got sick, he did much more. Um, as the woman of the house has been my, it's my responsibility, I feel like, to manage that and to create that environment. Because I'm the one that was home more. And so, um, I feel like we have lost that in our community, in our culture, that idea of just welcoming people into our imperfect lives and into our imperfect home. And I really want to push up against that, that, that everything doesn't have to be perfect because nobody has it is perfect. Nobody's life is perfect. So, um, beautiful. So intentional about it. It's not just like it just happens. You put a lot of effort into this. Yeah. And it's been it's been worth it. I see the I see the benefits of it as my children have gotten older and you know, and their friends come and visit us, like I said. And their their friends coming back with their spouses and their children and coming to visit us. Even when my their my child that they were friends with isn't here anymore. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's really, it's really yeah. gratifying, um, to see that and to, and to have them, um, make comments about the, the, the impact that, that just being with us, um, had on them. And, you know, my husband and I joke that we just, we parented by hanging out. We just hung out with our kids. And so, um, but we, we were able to do that here. Um, yeah. And food is a very interesting thing in that it binds people together. And then it has that element of, of scent memory and, um, and just memories associated with them. So maybe it's yeah. not the best food in the world, but the memories associated with it. Oh, my goodness. Is, yeah. is heartfelt and heartwarming. And that makes it the best food in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Like the cabbage that you're selling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I love it because I think food could be a source of 
um, you know, I could be canning to prove myself to you and to show off and all these things. But when your attitude, which comes through in everything you write online, which is just generous and humble and hospitable always. I mean, I have always felt so kindly treated when I send you messages on Instagram or whatever. Your responses are always very heartfelt. And so, yeah, it definitely comes through and um, it definitely inspires me. And um, I want to be like that more. (laughs) I love it. It's really inspiring. Thank you. Yeah. Where can everybody's listening to you? Where can they find you? Where do you want them to find you, follow you, find these books? Where can that happen? Sure. So um, my blog is schneiderpeeps.com. And I'm on Facebook and Instagram as schneiderpeeps. Um, The books can be found at any, um, all the major bookstores have them. And a lot of local bookstores have them. So um, if, obviously, I would prefer people to buy from their local bookstores. Uh (laughs) If they can, they can order them. There's um, IndieBound has them. Um, Bookshop. I have a bookshop shop. I think you guys have a bookshop shop. Yeah, I found your books on there. Um, Yeah, yeah, are on there. So people could even go to y'all's bookshop shop. And order them through that and support their local or a local bookstore. I think Mm -hmm. that's so important. Um, But yeah, they're kind of, they're out in the world, kind of everywhere. I do have some signed copies um, here at the house. If people wanted to order signed copies, I'll have to get you that link. I don't have it. Okay. Right in front of me. Yeah, I'll put that in the notes. But it has to be people, they have to have a U.S. address. Okay. Because international shipping to ship these two books to Canada is like forty dollars. So isn't it wild? It's not it's worth. Wild. Huh? It's wild it, how it expensive is. it is. <laughs> it is wild. Just but yeah, but they're also they are available in the UK um, and in Canada through like major book sellers, and also in Australia. So Page Street Publishing distributes in all those wow. areas. Wow. So okay, that's good. why the. Uh, if you notice the recipes, they're in mm-hmm. empirical and metric. Yeah, you have them in both. I noticed that. Yeah. Yes, because eight cups in parentheses, one point nine liters. Yes, because they require yeah. that because they distribute. <laughs> How brilliant! Okay. Yes. Well, I'm that makes it easy they, for our listeners. Yes, I'm very thankful they did that, but it was stressful at the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Allison and I didn't even manage to pull that off. Oh. <laughs> well you weren't required to (laughs) (laughs) we we were saying we think we would put it in a like if we edited it which you know of course we would need to but um we would put it in a second version right um, (laughs) that's funny wow okay great oh this is this is the this is the set of books that i feel if people people ask me a lot what should i do for my canning books um these are great because your attitude shines through in the books um your your spirit is here and then the pictures are beautiful (laughs) the food is delicious and it's just wonderful and convenient so i hope everybody gets a chance to check it out thank you thank you for visiting with me this morning angie this was amazing it was fantastic (laughs) thank you for having me Yes. And if you have time, then after we finish recording, 
if you want to stick around for a few more minutes we can record a short after show for the patrons and then thank you for also letting me use four recipes two from each book i've put them into a pdf for the patrons to get a little bonus sample of one of their own fellow patrons cookbooks (laughs) so everybody's going to enjoy that and get started right away using your stuff so thank you angie for joining me today thank you bye 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 Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to continue the conversation. Come find us on Instagram, Andrea's at Farm and Hearth and Allison's at Ancestral underscore Kitchen. Until next time, we both wish you much fun exploration and satisfaction in and out of the kitchen.